Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. I'm Pat Nevin. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London Is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Hey, Chelsea fans, Dan here. You're about to listen to an episode where we took some time with Rom, right after we ain't got no history, and dove deep into his article, Frank Lampard, Work in Progress on We Ain't Got No History. Check it out. It's a central reading. We had so much fun talking to him that we actually ran really, really long, uh, much to the dismay of many of our family members. But at the end of the day, we broke it up into two episodes for your listening pleasure. First part, really focuses on what happened in Derby last season and Frank's start in his managerial career. The second episode that we're going to release really focuses more on how Frank will take advantage of the current squad at Chelsea and who we might see on starting day against Manchester United at Old Trafford in Frank Lampard's starting 11. So please enjoy this first part. We'll catch you for the second one shortly. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another special summer edition of the London is Blue podcast. I'm Dan, one of the hosts here, and this is a really, really exciting episode on the heels of Frank Lampard returning to Chelsea. We had to do some digging. We had to do some deep diving. We had to bring the lessons from Frank Lampard's time at Derby County last season in the championship to life 
And in doing our homework, there was no better way to do that with then with We Ain't Got No History's own Rom, who did a brilliant deep dive into Frank Lampard's first season. He even titled his piece Frank Lampard Work in Progress. And he watched every single match. That's right. If anyone asked the question, did you watch Darby Counting last season? He's the only person who probably can say yes. Rom, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you. Hi. Really, really happy to be here for the first time. Well, it's probably overdue, and I'm really, really appreciative. Uh, for those who don't know, Ram is a writer on We Ain't Got No History, but also a prolific bassist about to go on tour in the UK with his band, Project Mishram. And just maybe, well, let's highlight that for a second. Where would someone go in the UK over the next couple of weeks to find you if you're playing, and where could they hear maybe some of your music too? Well, uh, we'll be playing in... A bunch of cities across the UK, um, starting from up north in Leeds and going down to Birmingham, Nottingham, uh, London, Manchester and Cardiff. And you can check out our music on YouTube and Spotify, uh, pretty much every audio platform that you can think of right there. So do you, do you think when you're in Leeds, you might do a, uh, a special Frank Lampard tribute song? <laughs> I'll think about it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, as someone who had a chance to watch all of Derby County last season, where's your excitement level as it relates to Lampard being announced as Chelsea's newest manager? Oh, oh you have no idea how excited I am. Uh, <laughs> this is something I've wanted to happen ever since I heard Lampard was taking his first steps into management. Although, I mean, like like probably everyone else, I didn't anticipate that it would be uh, this soon, you know. Uh, also, having having watched uh, Derby for most of the season, I, there is a part of me that feels a little sad for Derby because, unfortunately, in, in all of this, they've been left in the lurch. And I think that deserves to be acknowledged because they were in the process of a rebuild and they were in a good place and now the manager is presumably leaving. So, yeah, uh, there is one part of me that's a little disappointed, but um, the the Chelsea part of me is jumping for joy. It's happiness knows no bounds because uh, Lampard was my favorite Chelsea player. I mean, it's really hard to choose between Lampard and Drogba. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing a manager who has a huge connect with the fans and who players and supporters alike will relate to and who will also probably give the youth a chance. So yeah, I'm buzzing, to be fair. Well, uh, don't bounce out of your seat just yet because we still have a pun- plenty of podcasts to go through. But yeah, I, I echo your thoughts around just being beyond excited for Frank as a, if not one of the best players to play for Chelsea ever. When John Terry says it, you probably have to believe it's true that Frank Lampard is the best Chelsea player of all time. And having not maybe watched as much Derby as you this season, but seeing some high matches and some low matches, and we compared notes upon which matches fans should see to see the best and worst, the Jekyll and Hyde of Frank Lampard's first season at Derby County. Uh, I think a critical point that you mentioned is the fact that we probably don't talk enough about or just realize that it is quite unfortunate for Derby to be losing someone as special as Frank with the way that he maybe change the culture a bit? Would you think that would be a fair statement from what your observations were last season? Oh, almost, most definitely. So, so, so the way Derby have been functioning uh, for the last few years is 
you know, obviously they got relegated after that season in 2007, if I'm not wrong, where they finished with the lowest points tally the Premier League has known in a while. And uh, since then, they've been on this quest to get promoted back to the Premier League as every club in the championship is. But the thing is that they were one of the more relatively well-off clubs in the championship. So they have been spending a lot of money in a rather unwise manner. So the the manner that they used to recruit players is very different from, say, how Norwich is functioning right now or even Huddersfield, who have very smart recruitment policies. So uh, one thing was Derby would only recruit from within the UK for most part. And the way things built up over the seasons led to a situation that they had a lot of players on their books who were you know, in and around the age of 30, a lot of them even above 30, and they were on pretty big wages. And the thing was that they had this reputation of serial bottlers, I don't like to say it, but um, that's how it is, uh, who who usually do well at various points in the season and end up making the playoffs, but they don't really make it past that. Like uh, two seasons ago, they lost um, in the playoff semis, uh, last season also they lost in the playoff semis. So Lampard was walking into a situation where it was quite similar to Chelsea. The squad's average age is closer to 30 than you would like. And there are a lot of players on big wages. The financial viability is not in the best place. So he really had to revamp the culture there, you know, bring in youth players. And the, their previous manager played a style of football that wasn't the most pleasing to the eye. That's uh, Gary Rowett who just got sacked at Stoke City last season. And so, so yeah, Lampard really had to change things up. He had to uh, bring in a significant amount of uh, young players into the squad. He had to manage the senior heads in the squad such that uh, no one was really left disgruntled. And he also had to rekindle that connection with the supporters, which he really did. He, he passed that test with flying colors, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think if we look at any of the social media, whether it was the locker room celebration after beating Leeds in the semis uh, or the that was majestic <laughs> it was it was probably my favorite moment of the derby season after oh, yeah. what ends up being the heartbreak in the final but uh singing your own song uh, your own hate song back and huh. just celebrating and popping champagne bottles off it is a pretty fantastic scene so you know i think we talk about that idea that he was really able to rekindle that relationship that he walked into a job that maybe wasn't as advantageous you know I, I know that you know we kind of in the piece that you had mentioned that yeah obviously Oxford was in for him Ipswich Town was in for him so he had a couple of different options and Darby was probably not the one that, that seemed the most natural at the time was there a thought in your mind initially about how Lampard was going to do do you feel like he achieved expectations do you feel like he over exceeded expectations because ultimately Darby was there last season as well like they didn't necessarily change position they only got a little bit deeper into the playoffs and they still didn't get promoted again yeah so I um I'd like to start with saying that a lot of people look at it this way they say that they finished um a point above or below Derby last season I'm not sure which and they scored like uh, one goal lesser than Derby last season or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that the the makeup of the squad last season was very different from what it is 
this season because they had a squad pretty much full of players who had proved themselves at this level. And they had Vidra up front, who has been scoring in a prolific manner in the championship since like 2012, that far back. He, he, he burst onto the scene when Gianfranco Zola was in charge of Watford, when Nathaniel Chaluba was there. So that, that should give you a fair idea of uh, how far back that player has been proven in the championship. Similarly, they had the likes of uh, Andy Wyman and uh, Olsen and Wisdom and so on. All of these players have uh, a lot more experience than the ones that were brought in this season. If, if you look at the likes of uh, Mason Mount, uh, Harry Wilson and Fikayo Tomori, if you think about it, Mount has one season of prior football with Vitesse. Uh, Harry Wilson has half with Hull City. Uh, Tomori has practically won with Hull City. He had half with Brighton, but he barely played. So he he had these three players as the most important players in his squad, apart from Richard Keogh. And you have to consider as well that he brought Jaden Bogle in from the academy. And Jaden Bogle is someone who had played, I think, four or five times for Derby's under-23s. So it, he was practically fast-tracked from making the step up from youth level to the, the first team. And that's that's four players that I mentioned now. And in addition, there's Mason Bennett. So practically you have five new young players who have been made important parts of the squad. And you've let go of Vidra, you've let go of, of Ayman. So I think that all this put into context, in addition to the fact that the squad is playing a completely different style of football than they were under Gary Rowett, um, you, you have to consider that maybe the expectation wasn't for them to get promoted this season. So I remember watching the first press conference of the season um, with Lampard and the owner Mel Morris there, his unveiling. And the, the question was uh, very directly asked, as you would expect. A journalist asked Mel Morris, uh, do you expect Lampard to get promoted in his first season? And uh, the answer, as I remember it, was that it was not the explicit target. So they were they were clearly looking at a rebuild towards more sustainable future. And uh, I think, and I think the consensus among Derby fans as well, will be that Lampard's goal for the season was to, ju- to just keep Derby in a safe place, somewhat similar to what it may be at Chelsea this season. To just keep them in and around things, not too much of a fall from grace, but also have that rebuild in full swing. So I think in... In the context of things, he's done very well to get them to the playoff final. There are questions about his style of play and everything. All that is fine. But when you look at things in a broader context, then you you have to agree that Lampard has done a pretty good job this season. And he's done more more than what I would have expected of him. And going by my interactions with a lot of Derby fans, I think it's it's the same with them as well. well and, and I don't know if you've gotten this same feeling but when I go and read, whether it's the Darby subreddit, when I look at the respondents to the or replies to the tweet of Darby confirming that they were going to allow Lampard to talk to Chelsea, preventing any type of legal issue down the line, they were heartbroken. They were disappointed. And, you know, I think that to me, referencing to the two points that we made previously, talking about his ability to restore connection between what happens on the pitch 
and the supporters in the stands and his ability to show this idea that there's a project here, that there's something worth investing in has really left a lot of the fans crestfallen. I know you've engaged with a lot. Did you feel that same response as you kind of reached out, engaged with other Derby fans to talk about what it maybe looks like or how they're feeling about all of this? Oh, yes. Yeah, I I follow and I interact with a lot of Derby fans on Twitter. I've been doing so all season. And there are, I mean, understandably, they're a little split on the whole matter. Some of them are a little bitter about Lampard leaving, and that's fine. I'd understand that because he's he's been asked in press conferences and uh, at the fans forum, which I watched uh, about 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 the Chelsea job. And yeah, yeah, you know, if you put yourself in his shoes, if you're talking about a club where you've spent a majority of your playing career, and you're hailed as a legend over there, the fans over there love you probably more than they do at Derby. So, I mean, uh, if you think about it from his point of view, if Chelsea come calling, can you really say no, whatever position you're in? Uh, maybe if Derby had gotten promoted to the Premier League, he might have had a more tough decision on his hands. But uh, I, I think the time is, there is an argument for the time being, right, for him taking over at Chelsea, and I'm sure he has that in mind. So there are some Derby fans that have, a more measured take on this, and uh, that, that's that, that's a fair amount of them. To, to be fair to them, uh, the, a lot of them are saying that we wish we wish Frank Lampard well, and a lot of them are well uh, not not as not as um, you know amicable in their goodbyes. Uh, I'm seeing a, a few snake emojis here and there, but, uh, but 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 the overriding sentiment is that. He should be given the credit he deserves for this for the season he had, because there were a lot of exhilarating moments that I'm sure the fans lived through with great enthusiasm. There were a lot of highs, there were lows, but for me the highs made it worth it. And uh, going by their reactions, it was the same for them as well. But the 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 point where I think a lot of bitterness has been gained is the way it's all been handled towards right. the end of the season. Because you have to you have to look at all all the media speculation surrounding this. It's become like a huge saga where it really doesn't have to be. The fact that he's Frank Lampard is obviously a very central aspect of this whole thing. But uh, so many of his colleagues and ex-players in the media are just giving out, you know, sound bites saying that he's, he's the right man for the job. There are articles going around here and there. Um, so so uh, I, I understand if Derby fans feel that uh, they aren't really being respected in this whole matter. And they, they already have like a bit of a false start because being in the playoff final, you you naturally have a little less time than other teams to prepare for the new season. Right. So I can understand why it's incredibly annoying. And a lot of their ire stems from there. But overall, I, I, I would definitely say that they really love Frank Lampard. And given some more time, even those with you know a little more harsher takes on this whole thing would have mellowed down. And they will be referring to him as someone who did a lot of good work in his time at the club. Yeah, I think the 
his friends uh, like Didier Drogba, who have done him well on so many occasions, may have worked a little adversely to the <laughs> appointment and anointment with his uh, Instagram stories. And yeah, but such I, I think that was. Uh, I mean, while while that would have been pretty exciting for Chelsea fans to hear things like uh, you know just relax or he's talking to them, uh, it's not necessarily the best thing to do when you know. Uh, 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 people heavily vested in another club and heavily vested in Lampard are involved. So I, I would have appreciated it or I would have liked it if, you know, uh, so many people were a little less outspoken on the whole matter. So, yeah, I see it. So one thing I would say is that Frank Lampard wasn't the only person from Chelsea that went to Derby from a coaching perspective. We also saw Jody Morris head over of of Chelsea fame as well. We saw Chris Jones come over, and then he also, among his coaching staff, brought in Shea Given. Some of those coming back over to Chelsea as a part of his coaching ensemble, his backroom staff. If you were looking at, and if you could maybe quantify what you thought the percentage breakdown if you said x percent of this belongs to frank what percentage would you maybe give to that backroom staff that coaching staff that nucleus that helped take derby into the championship final this past season and come just 90 minutes short of getting back promoted back into the premier league okay yeah well yeah that, that's an interesting one so uh lampard obviously is uh very new to this Whereas that is not the case with Jody Morris. So for any manager entering entering the game for the first time, it's probably very prudent to surround themselves with people who have perhaps more experience than them. And uh, going by what Lampard said, he wanted to strike a balance between people who are young and hungry, have a desire to succeed, and probably those who had more experience in management or in coaching than him. So taking Darby, uh, sorry, taking Jody Morris with him was uh, a very wise move. And one thing is that he was probably working with Jody last season when he was um, completing his coaching badges. He was working part-time with the Chelsea under-18s. And uh, ha- having Jody also helps because given the nature of the task over there, at Derby, uh, which would involve handling young players. Uh, Jody is quite proficient with that, given he's been handling the Chelsea under-18s and doing very well with them. And he, he, he it's, it's hard to tell these things, but I'd like to think that Morris is also has uh, an appreciable role in tactical, tactical nows. Because uh, I saw Lampard make a fair few naive tactical decisions. Uh, maybe in-game or to start some games, uh, case in point being the championship playoff final, or in a couple of games um, against Leeds earlier in the season, uh, among others. But that was enough to tell me that Lampard as a manager is very much on uh, at the beginning of the curve, tactically. He has a lot to learn tactically, although there are encouraging signs. So you can tell that tactically Lampard isn't all the way there yet. And going by Morris performances with the Chelsea youth teams. You can tell that Morris is probably ahead of him in the curve, uh, even if only due to more experience. So I'd say that his his roles 
would have been split with Morris in a fairly equitable manner. It's uh, a little difficult to put percentages on that. But my, my two cents would be that they both contributed to things tactically in a fairly equal manner. And I think Lampard would have had a larger role mainly in man management because if if there's one thing you can if there's one thing you can garner from everything people say about Lampard and all his interactions ever with the, with the press, whether he was at Chelsea or wh- whatever content regarding Lampard you can consume, it's that he he can speak very well and he's very good with people. He's probably probably a huge influence in the dressing room at Chelsea, and uh, being such a well-regarded figure in football in general. The, there's no doubt that he would have been a massive influence um, at Derby as well. So I think uh, a large part of the man management would have gone to Lampard, although he, uh, you would assume that he had Morris's help in the development of some young players. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how I see it. I, uh, the way I see it is that uh, in his first couple of years or three years into management, he might split his tactical duties or coaching duties among his backroom staff in a more equitable manner. But when it comes to man management, I think he's I think he's right up there. And you, you can see that among the harmony that the squad has and just, just the overall connection, the, the vibes that you get from the squad and the fans. Uh, Lampard, personality-wise, is up there. So tactically, he has a lot to improve. But uh, being a good man manager is, according to me, something that can't really be taught and you have people like Ancelotti who are known for their man management skills or less so for rigor and training or uh, <laughs> just a touch. yeah yeah just a touch <laughs> so yeah I, I think Lampard has these bases covered and as long as he has himself surrounded by good footballing people as he did at Derby and he continues to distribute his uh, duties smartly the way he has done or so I presume at Derby then he'll be fine yeah, he definitely was the Luke Skywalker getting a little bit of that mentorship from a Jody Morris as an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, pre, pre, pre-visit to the Death Star. We're going to pretend they never made it to the Death Star. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> so kind of with you keeping that in mind, you know, you made a, a reference to some of the, the tax, tactical elements, and I think that's something that fans really love to sink their teeth into. They really want to talk about formations. They want to talk about players. Everybody's trying to come up with their predicted starting 11 for the first day of the new season, which we <laughs> know who's going to be healthy enough for that. Um, so credit to them for trying. My understanding was that for the majority of this season really was a traditional 4 but we did see a couple of different, you know, I remember seeing the 4-4-2. I even remember seeing the 3-4-3 three, three, uh, once or twice. But in your article, you know, you also talked about the 4-2-3-1. You talked about the 3-5-2. That there were definitely a couple of times that Frank really went to the kitchen sink and just kind of pulled out what he thought was going to be necessary to make do, which excites me because I think the flexibility is something we didn't see last season and got to be very, very challenging to watch at times when you saw the same passing triangles occur from the center back to the midfielder back to the center back, or, you know, these same triangles were being completed regardless of where they were on the pitch. And that didn't seem to be, what was happening at Derby last season? What are your thoughts on formation, 
flexibility and what we might be able to expect to see based upon what you saw last season? Yeah, so, well... Um, I know that's a lot. <laughs> the tactics are a lot. <laughs> just, just framing it in my head right now. So the, uh, the, the first thing to acknowledge is that the way he played out of the back wasn't too dissimilar to Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea. Um, they had a lot of combinations between centre-backs and centre-backs and full-backs, centre-backs and the DM. But they, they were noticeably a lot quicker when they got to the final third. So they did play a 4-3-3 like, uh, like, like Chelsea last season. But uh, instead of the, you know, regista, the Jorginho role, it was more of a uh, some, somewhere between a mix of a deep line playmaker and a defensive midfielder. Uh, it was usually Tom Huddleston of Tottenham Hotspur fame and Bradley Johnson, who's also played in the Premier League with Norwich, Norwich City. So uh, the defensive midfielder, unlike Jorginho or Chelsea, uh, didn't really have to, you know, just keep possession taking with very short passes. And uh, I'm not going to get into the whole Regista debate right now, but. Uh, the differences are that the holding midfielder at Derby had a lot more defensive responsibilities than Jorginho had at Chelsea or was much more adept at performing them than Jorginho was at Chelsea. So uh, that that is one key difference between the 4-3-3 at Chelsea and Derby. Another thing is that the fullbacks, uh, I see fullbacks as a bit of a question mark if Lampard does take over at Chelsea because ideally he wants his fullbacks to be very mobile, very enterprising in attack. Uh, his his right back, Jaden Bogle, 18 years old, he used to just bomb up and down the, the right flank, taking people on. He I think I think he ranks among the top for progressive dribbles in, in the in the whole league. So he, he 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 wants his fullbacks to be very attacking and very proficient at crossing, which is another potential question mark uh, over that and Chelsea. And his midfield, the, the two midfielders ahead of the holding midfielder, aren't very dissimilar to those at Chelsea. One has to be a little more attack-minded and one a little more defense-minded in the form of uh, Angolo Kante as we had at Chelsea. And Craig Bryson, who was a similar workhorse kind of midfielder at Derby. And Mason Mount on the left, as compared to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, both midfielders who can easily break the lines, whether it's with dribbling or it's with progressive passing. But basically, a lot of creativity in midfield was coming from that left-hand side. And the striker has to be someone who can ideally, you know, press very well. Because uh, Derby's press was quite high. And... Uh, uh, although Mason Mount led it from midfield, he was the first one to press in midfield. Uh, the striker's role is very important, and I've seen that directly lead to a few goals. So there are um, there are there are a few differences. Also, the 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 two white players um, don't have two dissimilar characteristics. I'd say they're uh, probably the most similar among Lampard, Starby, and sorry Chelsea. So that's as far as it goes with similarities and dissimilarities among the two sides. As far as tactical flexibility goes, I think that is the biggest difference between Lampard and Sari, because uh, yeah, you know, Sari maybe he he messed around with a false nine a few times, right? 
because uh, he he wanted Hazard up there. Uh, according to him, it was more defensive, defensively stable or whatever. Sure. But uh, Lampard went through a lot of different formations, whether it was to start with or whether it was in game. I mean, obviously his preferred base formation was a four-three-three, as I've just described. But that was also easily easily flexible into forming a four-two-three-one, which I would have liked to see Sari try. He started a lot of games with 4-2-3-1 and he also transitioned into a 4-2-3-1 in many, many games with, you know, uh, Mount or the left-sided midfielder pushing uh, pushing a little further up and assuming a more advanced uh, ba- basic position and there being like two holding midfielders instead of one. And he also tried a dual striker formation in many games. Uh, I've seen him bring on the likes of David Nugent, uh, Jack Marriott, experiment with various kinds of strikers in either a 4-4-2 diamond, a narrow diamond, and uh, even a 3-4-3. You know, there was this game against Norwich City when the the stadium lights went out and Derby were uh, trailing 3-2 and they resumed after a break and Lampard rolled in a very, very attacking 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. It was pretty fluid and they scored two goals in about 10 minutes to win that game 4-3. So, that was brilliant. So he has shown signs that he's flexible with in-game changes. He has not been afraid to make early game substitutions, which is a good sign. And he's also, uh, another example of where he switched up his formation pretty well was in that game against Leeds United, where he he made a change in the 44th minute to a 4-4-2 diamond. And that worked wonders. Yeah, yeah. bringing in Marriott in that game was uh, quite the... Quite the literal game changer. Exactly. Yeah. the the The, the only thing is, uh, apart from fullbacks, I think that strikers are another red flag because I know that he experimented with effectively four different strikers during the season at Derby. So this is something I didn't cover as much in the article because I thought people would probably snooze off while reading it. <laughs> uh, if if they did, they are not a true Chelsea fan because the <laughs> amount of data and information here preparing for the season look we, we can't sign players right now rom like we, we have to do something to occupy our time that's true that's true so he 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 played with martin waghorn up front for a large part of the season uh waghorn having just arrived from a prolific season at ipswich town is not the tallest striker i think he is only five foot nine or five foot ten but he's very stocky so he can function as a hold-up striker and he's very good in the air because he can use his body very well in aerial duels. So he had Waghorn who could function as a, a more of a hold-up guy, as well as a pretty mobile striker, because he was Waghorn was also deployed, deployed out wide. And sometimes there was a you know skewed 4-3-3, where Waghorn was playing um, uh, as a wide attacker. But he was also like sitting a lot more narrower than their wide players would. So it was skewed in that sense. And uh, so, so you had Waghorn, who was like a bit of a bit of the best of both worlds where it comes to having a target man and having a more mobile link-up oriented striker. And then there was Jack Marriott, who had a really prolific season at Peterborough United in League One. He is a superb finisher, at, as we saw uh, in the game against Chelsea and the game against Manchester United. Brilliant striker. I think he's going to have an excellent season next season. But uh, the problem was that while he was excellent at running into channels and drawing drawing the centre-backs out wide, 
he's his hold of play was a little bit lacking. So I think that Lampard had, you know, two versions of his system with the appropriate tactical tweaks, which involved having Marriott with, you know, a less hold up play required and which involved having Wagon. And uh, as it got towards the end of the season, it was acknowledged that they needed to have an overall more robust, properly direct attacking strategy. That's why he played. That's why he played Waghorn more than Marriott. But yeah, th- those were his two main types of strikers. And uh, you know, if we can compare age-wise, um, he had David Nugent, who was 34 years old, and we have Olivier Giroud. Uh, but the problem is that I think Nugent was probably more mobile. So I don't know how it really fits in for Giroud next season because if if Giroud has to be most effective in a Lampard system, it's probably with someone playing very close to him mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, just, just someone to feed off the excellent hold-up play that Giroud provides. Because he he I think Lampard really prefers strikers who have mobility. Because even though Nugent and Waghorn were good at hold-up play, it was very important for them to also be able to drift into channels and everything. So I think he expects a lot out of a striker, which is why I don't know how Giroud will fit in his plans. And Abraham, while not the you know complete striker, he has a lot. He has more well-rounded attributes, in my opinion. So if I were Lampard, I'd be preferring Abraham to lead the line going into next season. All right. Well, that 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 right there is a, a quote, right? That we have to kind of dive into a little bit as we talk about and maybe transition beyond some of the tactics into what Frank Frank Lampard's announcement as Chelsea manager means for some of the current personnel. All right, Chelsea fans. Well, again, we hope you enjoyed that first episode, only halfway through our little deep dive into Frank Lampard's time at Derby County. The next episode coming out is going to be about how that is going to impact Chelsea this coming season and what players are going to be in Frank Lampard's starting 11 the first day of the Premier League season, at least what Rom thinks is going to happen. So please stay tuned for that. And until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.